Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where each week we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is hospitality legend Peter Ducker, outgoing CEO of the Institute of Hospitality. Coming up on today's show... Peter reveals an early career start. And at the age of eight, I started to be allowed to carry linen up to the floors. Phil chats about apes. I also love the concept of a a gibbon having dietary requirements. And Peter describes what it was like to take over at the Institute of Hospitality. You know, it, it, it was nuts. It really was. All that and so much more as Peter chats us through his illustrious career and story so far. No doubt Peter has built an enviable career journey culminating in him being at the helm of the Institute of Hospitality for the last eight years. But there's a whole story before that and he tells it with great humility and humour throughout. Thanks so much, Peter. Don't forget, we launch a brand new episode each week telling the amazing and always amusing stories from hospitality. So make sure you hit that subscribe button and give us a like and a share across your favourite social networks. Let's share these amazing stories as far as we can. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the next episode of Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street. Today we have a hospitality legend in our midst. I'm not going to do a long whimsical intro for him as frankly we'd probably be here all day. All I will say is he's had a hell of a career so far, which culminated in the last eight years taking the helm of the Institute of Hospitality before earlier this year announcing that he would be stepping down. I am, of course, talking of the wonderful human that is Peter Ducker. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much indeed, Phil. Thank you very much. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Very Yeah, yeah tip top. Good, good, good. Where in the world are you recording from today? Uh, I'm recording from my home, which is about 10 miles south of Guildford. Okay. Halfway between London and Portsmouth. Right. I'm guessing that's uh, pretty much where the office has been for the last 12 months or so. Yeah, I'm afraid it has. Yes, yes. Yeah. I, um, I I was conscious of the fact when I, because normally I do write long intros for people to kind of give a, you know, an intro. You kind of need no introduction. I think there's, there's a lot of people in this industry who know who you are. And so I felt like this was going to turn into a little bit of a, this is your life piece. But uh, but nevertheless, I'm just going to go straight into it and take us all the way back to the beginning of your career. How did you end up in hospitality? Well, my grandfather was a hotelier. And uh, when the hotels reopened after the, they were in the Isle of Man. And when they opened after the war, he died. So his, his sons, which included my father, owned them and one of my uncles particularly ran them and our holidays were always in the Isle of Man and at the age of eight I started to be allowed to carry linen up to the floors and uh, right that was it <laughs> I was hooked got you so yeah well talk us through your life and times well that, that, as I say I, I started out doing that and from then on I wanted to be like my uncle George who I thought was just the coolest guy so that that was set the people at school didn't like it they thought it was a dreadful career for a man to follow. Even, really? Yeah, even even though I had a family history in it. But I, right. thought, I thought I knew better than they did, so I uh, took myself off to Oxford Polytechnic and did a course in hotel management, Okay. culminating with the HCIMA's final membership, which was the exam to take in those days. Right, okay. And what's, what, what path would that, obviously it's hotel management, but what's, what path would that send you off? Were you pretty focused on the fact that it was hotels for you? Yeah, I, I was totally focused. It was hotels for me. And uh, that was where I always wanted to be. And so after I, I left there, I, I went to Selsden Park Hotel on there. They then ran a really good graduate scheme. And uh, I did a year a year at Selsden. 
Right, okay. I mean, that, well, that's quite still still going today. Selsden still going strong. Yeah, it is. It was in those days. It was it was one of the leading independent hotels in the south of England. It was really really had quite a reputation. And I was there the year the Conservative Party had had a big summit there, and and right, um, Selsden Man was invented just before I went there. So it was you know it was known at the time and a, and a great training scheme. Fabulous hotel. Yeah, it, well, it's uh, it's it's a massive banqueting hotel isn't it it's it's enormous and uh, yeah and it, it was family owned in those days and on the first day that the owner who was a guy called basil sanderson takes his new recruits up to the top of the tower on the east wing and you stand there in, on a flat roof and he he points out and he says you see that there's trees over there and he points the distance to the east and the same to the west and we say yes mr basil and and he said well, I own all of this, so just you remember that while you work here, and and and, and, that, and, and, that, and that was the induction. Right, yeah, great, ca- great character, great character. You, yeah, you certainly knew who the boss was. Yeah, no, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah, yeah, and well, and in its time, it's also it's changed hands quite a lot now, hasn't it? Mm, it has. I'm, I must say, I've not been there for I've not been there for several years, but uh, yeah, it has changed hands a lot. Yeah. yeah. How long were you there for? I was there for just over a year. Yeah, I, I really. It was a great training scheme, but I, I was desperate to go and work in central London. I thought that was the place to be. You know, I'm, I don't think I'm the first hotel guy to think that, do you? Uh, no, probably not. No, <laughs> I think it's um, it's still regarded that way today, yeah. I think. I mean, it, you know, it's um, well, it's one of the, the sort of the hospitality hubs of the world mm. now, isn't it? Top yeah. five, probably. Oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And, and there's always been such a buzz about it there. You know, it's a different pace. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. At what uh, what time of life was this, if, if you don't mind me asking, what sort of year, years are we talking about here? The era? Well, yeah, it was. This this will give you a clue as to why I'm standing down from the Institute of Hospitality. I, <laughs> I, I graduated in 1974, so it was. Okay. So I got to London in 75, which was. Uh, right. You know, a good time to be in London. Yeah. Okay, I'm not going to uh, make you feel bad by telling you that I um, I wasn't even thought of at that point, but, um, <laughs> but there we are. Uh, I just have made you feel bad by saying yeah, that, but anyway. Yeah, I'm going to crawl off and die somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> so off to London, and um, and so where did you have your, your sights set on? Well, I, I, was always, I was always more interested in front of house than food and beverage. So I went in as, res- as reception manager at, at, the, okay. at the Sherlock Holmes Hotel in Baker Street. Yeah, which is, which is which is now a park plaza. Yeah, and that was my first London job. Right. And after about nine months, uh, the firm that owned that owned the hotel that's now the Millennium Knightsbridge, and they moved me, which was their flagship, and it was then called the Chelsea Hotel, and uh, they, they moved me over there as reception manager, and then very quickly the house, the front of house manager, the house manager left, and uh, I got his job. So I was front of house manager at, at the the Chelsea Hotel, which is now the Millennium. Yeah. Right. You know, and that's the great thing about our industry. I've always thought, you know, that uh, if you work hard uh, and you get recognised by your by your employers, by the bosses, that they, they, they advance you, they, they they keep you on the hook. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think that's really changed. No, actually, I, I think uh, attitude actually centres around you know, many people's progress stories. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in fact, good to know that 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 some some of the uh, the old rules still apply. I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Yeah, so you you were a front of house manager there. What um what, what was next? Well, to tell you the truth, I, I I was given advice by an uncle, not not from the hotel side of the family, but from the other side of the family, 
Right. And he said, if you want to really advance to senior management, top management, then your best thing is to take a route less trodden. And I'd, I'd always assumed, you know, front of house manager, da, 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 aspire to be a general manager sometime, you know, in, in the not too distant future. Mm. Uh, and th- th- this uncle who, who, you know, worked in the motor industry said, uh, you know, if you want to get to the top, if you take one of the specialist routes rather than the generalist route, um, you'll get there faster. He said, so either go for, yeah, interesting thought. So he said, either go, yeah. for se- either go for sales and marketing or HR or accounting. And I thought, well, I re- I'd really enjoyed the accounting stuff at college, but, you know, didn't want to make that my life. And I thought, well, sales and marketing sounds a bit of fun. I'll try that. So I got a job as the, as the sales manager at the Richmond Hill Hotel. Right. So I moved slightly out, slightly out of London, but uh, nearer to where I was living. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, I had I had noted from your your previous career long before you were anywhere near the institute that you that you had a stint in sales and marketing. So this was this was the start of that. Then this was the start of that. Yeah. So and I and I was there for four or five years, um, and then, you know, yeah, that was the start of it. I left there as sales and marketing manager. Uh, by that time, it had changed hands. It belonged to Securicore, and uh, I had a mentor which was a wonderful experience. And after a couple of years of being with me, he said, you know, it's time you really moved on. So I did. I, I moved into London at a very exciting time. Right. It's good to have mentors like that, isn't it? Oh. That, that see that you're, you're, you're being restricted now. Yeah. So you, you need to go fly the nest. Yeah, absolutely. And that's really why it's so good to have a mentor who isn't in the company that you're working with, because they're, he's highly unlikely to say you want to leave this company. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, but to have one who is independent is 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 a great thing. It really is. Yeah, and I, and I owe him I owe him such such a debt of gratitude. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and so where did you head next? Well, I headed into London, and you know, again, before you rub it in, Phil, this is probably before you were born, but <laughs> so it was nineteen eighty. Oh no, I was I was in now. Oh, I'm, okay, I'm in. right. Yeah. Well, I, I I don't know if you were following what was happening in the industry at those days, but. Uh, Possibly, uh, possibly not. No, <laughs> possibly not. But I was probably more concerned with uh, making a transition from nappies into pants. To be honest, <laughs> okay. um, um, well, that, you never thought that you'd get a, a sentence like that in this podcast, yeah. did you? <laughs> Certainly didn't. But uh, at, the, at that time, uh, it was a really exciting time because Grand Metropolitan, which was one of the large hotel companies, had just bought Intercontinental from Pan American Airways. Okay, and as part of the um, decoupling of the of the well i guess i guess a to find some money to do it and b to 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 avoid they were becoming a global player rather than a predominantly uk hotel company and they were disposing of their hotel stock in the uk and there were a few startup companies who were buying hotels largely from grand metal although there's a fair bit of churn about real estate in those days and mm. uh God, that hasn't changed either. Oh, I know it hasn't, but this was this was really yeah. the, this was really the start of it. So right. I, I I joined Sarova Hotels, which was an established hotel company in East Africa, but um, a branch of the family had come to the UK and got into hotels and just found themselves in a place where they could buy these hotels, do a refurbish on them, and uh, reposition them as you know good mid market hotels, um, yeah. and. It, we we were flying. It was it was just such an exciting time, and they're still going strong. Yeah, they are absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Just despite the fact I left them, huh? Go figure. Yeah, I can't <laughs> hear the thought. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, 
but it was a wonderful thing and and you know it, it you know i've already said that my mentor was a big influence on my life mm. but uh, but my my boss at sarova was equally so because we were almost the same age you know we were we were he was maybe a year or two older than me but his view was well you know go for it boy do it and i and i right. i was given such opportunities um, at, at an age that if if i'd been in in a large company, I'd have had to wait years to get, you know, because we were, we were young, we were going for it, and, and we were succeeding. It was in yeah. such an exciting time. I think that's, that's the thing about uh, the independent marketplace, isn't it, as well, is that it, especially as a, as a learning place and a live learning place whereby, you know, you have somebody like that who says to you, just, just go and do it, yeah. go and do it. Yeah. You know, there's no hoops to jump through. There's no structure to get sign off on. No. You know, it's it's such a wonderful place to go learn and go and make your mistakes because I'm I'm sure there were probably mistakes as well as wins oh, for sure. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, very very interesting. You got that, I suppose, quite early on in your career as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was what twenty nine, thirty. You know, yeah, about twenty nine when I joined them. You know, incredible when you think. You know, when I look back on it, I think, my God, what a! I didn't realize at the time that this was unusual. I thought, well, yeah, I'm a grown up now. Whatever. I hadn't. I didn't realise just what a remarkable opportunity I was given. Yeah, yeah. And at what? And I'm also guessing that that at the time, you know, there wasn't such a, a reliance on uh, systems and uh, and things that you could you know, use to back back yourself up. There'd be a, a lot more individual input. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was it was a low tech industry in those days for sure, compared to the way it is today. Yeah. yeah. And then your your mentor got in your ear and said, "It's time you moved on." <laughs> from 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 there no 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 he, he no he he I, I was there for oh five or six years and and it was just exciting yeah but i i then got what's you know the tap on the shoulder and this is kind of one of the big career mistakes of my life i think one of the things i'd done when i was there was, was develop a short break company because when it was Grandmet, Grandmet had a thing called stardust which moved thousands and thousands of people into london each year many thousands of people in, into London right. on, on mini holidays, rail inclusive mini holidays. That was the buzz then, and okay. we started we started this business capital breaks as as, as a um, uh, as, as as our way of filling the hotels at weekends, and uh, it was very successful. And one of the things we did was package things in, including a kind of dine around uh, offer, and that was mainly based on restaurants operated by Robert Earl who obviously a very famous restaurateur who now owns Planet Hollywood. And yeah. um, in those days, he had a number of restaurants in the UK, including theatre restaurants, and wanted to go to the States to replicate it. And he brought me into his business, which was a, a public company, a, a sales and marketing director. So I thought, well, wow, you know, to, to, to move in from being sales, and, I was then sales and marketing director at, at Sarova, but, but I wanted to get the experience of, of, of being in a public company, which is which is vastly different to being you know, in a family-owned business. That's yeah, right. no doubt. Yeah. How so. did you find that uh, that transition? Well, you know, I said earlier on I, I was a front of house guy, and so all of us, all of a sudden, there, there I was working in a restaurant company, which, which had about three thousand covers in different sites all over London. I'll tell you the truth, Phil. I really, it's the only time in my life I thought I don't understand how this business works. I mean, restaurants. Right. Are, you know, I don't know, I don't know, you know, many of the people listening to this will know this, know more than I do, that restaurants are jolly hard business, that they're running on fine margins, that they're, 
it's a challenge. It really is. Yeah. Yep. And uh, I, I took a lot of getting used to, I must say. It was an exper- a learning experience, both in terms of getting my head around how, how restaurants work, and I certainly baptism of fire there, but mm. also it's fascinating to see how the city works and, and how as a public company, it's as imp- managing your reputation and your image amongst investors and amongst, amongst brokers it, it is as important as managing it amongst clients. But it's done in quite a different way. And, and yeah. that I found very interesting. And, you know, again, it's part of my part of my education and my growing up period, you know. Yeah, I, I also think there's there's merit in here, though, around the fact that you, you could, I can totally see why you would give something like that a go, because it brings something completely different to the table than what you'd had before. But also it, that doesn't necessarily transpire that that's always then as you've kind of alluded to yourself, the right move for you. But it is good to go and experience that for yourself rather than just make the assumption that it might not be. Absolutely. Absolutely right. Yeah. You've got to try these things. Yeah. And I mean, that's definitely another thing that I love about this industry is, is that these these opportunities are always out there yeah. to, to go and stretch yourself and take yourself into a, a different direction. Mm-hmm. That you know, It might not work, but how will you know if you don't give it a go? It, that's exactly right yeah and if you don't give it a go you'll always regret not doing it i think yeah. i think i think i'd much rather regret the occasional mistake than, than regret that uh, i didn't try things absolutely and i and i think also talk to a thousand different people and every one of them will have a career regret mm-hmm. at some point yeah. along the line yeah you know i think that's just an inevitable part of of life and growth mm-hmm. yeah and I, and I must say although although as I say, I didn't enjoy it and didn't think I was doing a particularly good job. I learned a hell of a lot, you know. Yep. That's, that's what it's all about, isn't it? You know? Yeah, absolutely. And probably learned a hell of a lot about yourself. Yeah, exa- exactly. Like, don't, don't, don't try and run restaurants. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not for me, that one. <laughs> not for me, not for me. Full of respect for those who do, though. How long were you with them? Well, I was only with them for a year. Um, okay. And it was it was just when the shortly after the caterer launched the Katie's, so it was either the first or second of the Katie's, and uh, they very kindly in, invited me there as a guest. And the guy I was sitting next to at dinner said, "You know, Peter, if we'd known you were moving from Sarova, we'd have loved to have had a conversation with you." And, right. And I thought, "Whoa, well, okay, well, let's have a conversation now." And, yeah, uh, <laughs> here's a glass of wine. Yeah. So, so well, no, we didn't do it that night, but uh, so. Uh, you know, with, within a month, I, I said to Robert, look, this isn't working out. And uh, he, he was very kind and very generous and said, well, OK, move on. And so I was back in hotels with, with a company. Right. A, a pu- this was a, a full public company. President Entertainments, the restaurant company, w- was on the unlisted security market, which was then sort of the junior market. And this one mm. was, on, was on the official list. It was on the full stock exchange. So again, right, okay. an, another learning curve because uh-huh. most of the board were big city people rather than right. uh, rather than people from our world which again right. was again a learning curve for me yeah well I, well I suppose also that first experience gives you an insight into to that world and this kind of took it up a notch yeah absolutely it, it really did it, it did that and uh, also outside the public company but the same group of people owned a number of hotels in the states so i I had some experience with the States from Sarova, but um, got a lot more experience whilst I was with them. Right. Yeah. And and how long were you there for? Well, 
<laughs> that was little over a year, probably 18 months. Um, and then, as I said, it was a public company. And yeah. we, 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 we were, there was a dawn raid. We were bought. There was a takeover for us. And uh, it was fairly obvious it was going to work. It was a, a, a legendary hotel, a man I have an enormous respect for. Uh, it was it was Mount Charlotte, which was Robert Peel's hotel company. Okay. Uh, and they went for us. And uh, it was fairly obvious early on that uh, that bid was going to be successful. And, and indeed it was. Yeah. Right. How did that affect you at that time? Well, I was on the board. And, and what happens in this sort of situation is pretty, pretty soon after the takeover happens, how it affected me was that uh, as a director, I, I was one of the first out of the door because uh, obviously the board... Was, was duplicated by the board of the company that had bought us and uh, right they didn't need me so uh, that was that so that's the, is that the 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 first redundancy in your career then at this point yeah and thank god it, the the only one having said which you know, you know every day's a school day being yeah. being made redundant and by then i had i had a young family my my youngest was just coming up to a year old and, and being made redundant is an experience which I don't wish on anybody, but yeah. again, my God, you learn a lot in it. it. It really made me appreciate the importance of, of compassionate management. Yeah, I, well, I'll bet. I mean, these things have a habit of coming back to to help you when you need them the most, don't they? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, yeah, so uh, so there I was. I was thirty five, thirty six, and uh, you know, so, suddenly from from having a, a ball flying high you know to uh thinking my god what am i going to do next yeah i yeah. do you know this is actually a topic that i i think should get more airtime because mm. you know it, it, redundancy is also an, a natural part of business mm -hmm. you know at certain times it can just be one of those things at a certain moment in time but then you also have you know the things that are going the external forces that affect business performance where redundancies are unfortunately inevitable and of course we're, we're kind of in one of them right now yeah. and I, I think a lot is made of and I've certainly been through it myself whereby you know it doesn't feel like it's particularly great at the time when it's happening but actually uh, certainly from my own perspective and a lot of the people that I speak to who have been in that situation it's actually one of the best things that can happen to you mm -hmm. because you kind of you quickly you, once again you go back to learning a lot about yourself and your resilience and how quickly you can kind of change your brain into going, okay, well, I can sit around and mope about this or I can crack on. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I would never think it was right to say, I'm to say to somebody, if you're making the redundant, I'm going to do you a favor. But, but mm. so many times and so many people I've spoken to over the years, it has been the favor that's, uh, you know, that, that's given them the impetus, given them the energy, given them the drive to go off and do something which, was was life-changing for absolutely so how did it change your life that's a nice little segue yeah well it's it i i was uh, it, it gave me the impetus to go and uh, and start my own business because okay i, I thought well you know who can i trust <laughs> i can trust myself so yeah. let, let's do it Let's let's go off and, and and have a go at this. I got a bit of experience because by, by then, because I'd, I'd started quite a few businesses within the hotel companies, particularly with Sarova. One of the things we did was create self-liquidating subsidiaries, which were independent businesses that whose whose who's raison d'être was to drive business into the hotels. So the mini holiday business that I was talking about, we set up capital breaks. 
was a company in its own right with its own uh, set of goals, etc. Mm. And, and we did the same sort of thing in, in the US with a US sales and marketing operation, which, which again, I set up and ran. And um, I was doing the same thing at the time with, with London Park uh, when, when, right. when, when I was with them. And I've been looking particularly at what was happening around hotel reservations because technology was pretty stone age but was compared to today but was was coming in and it was possible for the first time really for an intermediary to be specializing in hotel reservations rather than hotel reservations as part of a travel mix and right. because of the technology actually make money on a on a commission of eight eight and a half nine percent so uh, i was one of the not that I certainly wasn't the first into that, but I, but I was one of the first wave in, in into that uh, in, into that space and start, right. started started a hotel reservations company. So you're, I mean, you're effectively a travel agent of sorts. Well, you're a travel agent, but just dealing in hotels. So as a, yeah. a, travel, a travel agent is regulated. You know, there's all sorts of uh, licensing you need. It's a deregulated market. You don't need licenses to operate it, uh, which makes point of entry much easier. Yeah. But it, effectively, it, it is living on a margin, so on, on a percentage. Yeah. So it's, it's it's an agency business, yeah. Yeah, but you, well, I suppose as well. This is a a, a time before uh, the rise and rise of of online commercial activity. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, it, it was it was a it was a room full of people taking reservations, but using technology to process it, mm. uh, and particularly automate the accounting process, and and the uh, and. The technology worked in two ways. It went upstream back to the client, giving them management information about what they were spending and how they were spending it, which was a first. And it went downstream to the receiving hotels or, or venues um, in terms of commission that they owed for the business that we delivered them. Um, right. It was technology that made it happen. But compared to, uh, you know, what, what happens in bookings.com and organizations like that, it, it was like an abacus compared to, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, but it, but, it, but it made it viable to do it. And, and uh, as I say, the benefit to the to the corporate was it gave them access to management information that they otherwise wouldn't have had. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, and then, well, and also the the benefit to the um to the the company, like a Sarova, you know, effectively you're creating your own funnel, really, aren't you? Of yeah. of, of people. Well, you 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 are. Although, although, of course, this was me setting up as an independent business, so we had no no, no affinities with any particular. We weren't funded by any hotel company. Um, yeah. But the funding was an interesting thing because um, I could draw on the experience I got from the city um, in terms of raising finance. Um, mm. and, and even in those days, you needed to raise, you know, I think we raised £200,000 to start it off, which is not a lot of money these days, but, you know, seemed like a lot in those days. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, there was a thing called the business expansion scheme, which was a scheme to bring private investors into startup companies and give them tax breaks on it. And, uh, you know... It, from the experience in the city, I knew how to present that sort of proposition, how to make that sort of proposition to people who, who had the ability to invest in it. And, yeah, yeah. So you know, every day is a school day. Yeah, for sure. And isn't it funny how it's so incredible how this kind of thing happens, whereby you know you don't necessarily have a, a completely mapped out career strategy. You end up your opportunity presents itself, and you take that opportunity because you think it's going to add value to you. And it, at some point down the line, the experience you gain from that ends up helping you. It's amazing how often that happens. Oh, absolutely. It really is. And I must say, I mean, 
one of the things I've loved most about the Institute and I'm sure, is, is, is the time I've spent talking to students. And, and the piece of advice I always give them is have a career plan, but, you know, be prepared to change. If an, yeah. opp if an opportunity comes up, take it if you think it's the right thing to do, even if it knocks you away from your original plan, because, uh, you know, well, when I started out, you couldn't make money as a hotel reservations agent, you know, but right. then when technology happened, you could. And, yeah. uh, you know, so it was an in, it was a career that wasn't there as an option when I was at college. But, uh, you know, you, you've got to you've got to, you know, roll with it. And uh, if something comes along, never never throw never throw an idea out of hand without without really looking at it first. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, that's the advice I give. Yeah, totally. I, I, we always talk about starting with the end in mind. So it's good to have a kind of destination in your head yeah. as to where you'd like to get to. But the uh, it's the old adage, isn't it, that the you know that the pathway to get there is not going to be straight. That's for sure. Uh, yeah. You know, there's going to be times where even it feels like you're going off on a completely different tangent, and that destination is not. And your destination can change. Oh, uh, as well. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm guessing you know, when you you started out in the industry that you didn't uh, put down being the chief executive of the Institute of Hospitality on on your list of things to do I, I didn't although the very first day at Oxford Polytechnic what they did well in those days they sat you in a room with a form and you filled it in and that made you a student member of the institute and I right. think I think you paid over five pounds or something to to be a student member uh, since that day I kept my membership up all, all through my career because I think in the early days it helped a lot there was you know it really was good uh, and yeah. later on I kind of drew on its resources much less but I always thought it was a good thing to belong. And, you know, it made me feel part of the industry, you know, and then, but I never dreamt that, um, you know, one day I'd have the privilege to, to, to be running it because the people who ran it were grownups, you know, and, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I never really, I, you know, I, I never really saw myself en ending up as a grown-up. I don't know why. But, uh, yeah. Well, I think you've got to have a little bit of mischievousness about you in this industry, haven't you? I think so. The, think and so. curious brain. Yeah. Um, and all of these these sorts of things. But um, so you're on the path with your own company. We'll yeah. come back to the Institute, of course, uh, at some point when we when we get there. But yeah, how long were you, you doing that for? Oh, I had it for 18 years, 19 years. Wow. And, uh, yeah. And it, it grew and it had three different bits to it. And uh, it was it was enormous fun. But a um, couple of things happened. First and foremost, well, I, I had a, I'd, I'd like to talk about one thing that happened sort of two-thirds of the way through owning it which is the, mm. the, the industry was growing and there were some real rogues in the industry as well as a lot of good practitioners and right. with other booking agents we began we began to meet at hotel parties and that sort of thing and you know we knew each other of course it was a small world and uh, we said you know what there, there needs to be something that separates the good guys from the bad guys because uh, we're finding it hard to win major corporate accounts because as a deregulated industry, there, there are bandits in there and you get tarred with the same brush, don't you? Yeah. So we said, yeah. wouldn't it be good if there was a code of practice that, A, you signed up to and it had teeth and had, you know, you know retribution behind it if you strayed out. Uh, and also, it, it was there was reciprocity with the hotels or the, or the venues. So, so they signed, yeah. you know, that we all signed a code of practice about ethical behaviour together. And uh, that morphed over started with drinks as i say at hotel parties and then we began meeting in you know outside uh, and yep. uh, 
The best ideas start over yeah. drinks usually. Yeah, exactly. And and you know that became the Hotel Booking Agents Association, which um, was, you know, was, was started by about I think twenty five agents, and you know, and then we got the hotels to sign in slowly but surely. Um, mm. And I was funny. I was looking at it recently, and and you know these days its members are turning over two over two billion pounds a year. You know, it's really grown. Wow. Um, yeah. it, that's a large part of the way that's been able to grow as, a, as an industry is because once it became self-regulated with its code of practice and, uh, you know, that sort of thing, it, it, that, that gave businesses the opportunity to flourish and to grow. So, yeah, good on you, though, for, for seeing that and seeing the merit in, in bringing this in. Other than, you know, nobody wants to see business done badly. Uh, yeah. in any form and in any section of, of, of any sector. But it's one thing to kind of sit there and talk about it, but it's another thing to actually do something about mm. it. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it, yeah, and, and, you know, when you're running, you know, a small business, small, small mid-sized business, you know, to, to spend time on that sort of thing, you've, you've got to believe that it's for the good of your business as well as for the industry at large. Yeah, and it, and it and it definitely was. You know, it, ben- it benefited the individual businesses, but it also it gave the industry respectability. That, or that's mm. that, that, it's not an industry. The sec that sector respectability. So ra- rather than being the rogues who were charlatans who were taking the money out of the ho- the food out of the hoteliers' children's mouths, you know, we became respectable and uh, you know, credible. Yeah, cre- credible. It gave it gave us credibility as, as an industry, and credibility feeds growth. Um, and I had yeah. the, the privilege of being the founding chairman of it. So uh, right. really got really was able to uh, be involved in setting it up and getting the code of conduct drafted and, and, and agreed both by both by agents and by hotels. And there's a bit of toing and froing with that, I can tell you. I'm sure yeah, I bet that, that wasn't didn't happen over one meeting. Uh, no, it didn't. It took a couple of years, but uh, I had I had two years as the as the sort of founding chairman of it, which was again was an enormous I've had a very privileged career. I've so many times I've just been in the right place at the right time to to do something that was enormous fun and that I can now look back on with pride you know yeah but that was that was great and that really was the changing point for for hotel booking agencies I think yeah yeah and that you said that happened around about two-thirds of the way through yeah it did yeah yeah I started the business in 87 and this happened in 97 so we were 10 years into it Right. And then I sold that business in 2005. Okay. Yeah. Did you, often what happens when people sell businesses after such a long time, did you did you take a moment to stop and ponder or did you go straight back into something else? I, I, t- I took a couple of years to stop and ponder, actually. It, right. It, it really, it, it was just suddenly the right time to sell for all sorts of reasons. And, um, you know, I thought then what what I would do was, spend half my time doing something to make money, doing things to make money, uh, and, yeah. and, and half my time doing things to uh, put something back into the industry. Because, you know, I think many people can, can identify with this. You know, ours is a wonderful industry. And, mm. you know, I, I've, I've just had the, the privilege of working with such great people and working, doing business with such great people. Um, and I, I, I love the industry. I'm, I'm a sucker for it. And uh, I thought, well, it'd be good if I can put something back because I've taken so much pleasure out of it. And, yeah. you know, I did three things that, that were kind of my, you know, do-gooding bits. One was I became involved in the Institute, um, the HCIMA. It was still called the HCIMA then. It shortly became the, the, the Institute of Hospitality. Um, right. And, 
you know, got involved in committee work and that sort of thing, really just to, to help and, and put something back. I got involved in Oxford, Oxford Brooks, which was, you know, what, what Oxford Poly had become. Yeah. Um, the head of school then was a guy called Don Sloan, and uh, who I had an enormous amount of respect for, still, well, still have, and um, got involved with them. And in, very, in the early days of their mentoring scheme and, and doing other things with them as well. And I got involved in the Beyond Food Foundation, which Simon Boyle started, based on the uh, the Brigade Restaurant in Tooley Street in London, uh, which was providing opportunities for people who were homeless to take a chef's apprenticeship. And then when they had completed their apprenticeship, finding them a job and supporting them by mentoring for the first two years uh, after after they returned to work, helping them find somewhere to live, helping them start a bank account, helping yeah. them, un- help, you know, helping them understand that you know when you got a job you have to get up in the morning and and helping people back into work and 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 i loved the work they were doing so quite latterly on i I got involved in that as as well as project work the rest of the time i I was taking on ad hoc projects that kind of drew on things that i knew something about yeah i I mean that um there's quite a lot of projects that have popped up around the years of the of a similar sort of thing Mm. isn't there And, and boy do we need them Absolutely. more than ever absolutely and I, and I think you know again it's one of the things I love about our industry that I think it's because the people who are in it or the people you know a lot of the people who are in it that the, the default personal trait is, is that you have great empathy and, yep. and uh, you're people people so doing things that can help other people particularly help people in their career is you know a bit of a no-brainer and uh, it's one of you know it's there's so many things to love about our industry, but that's one of the main ones, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So how long were you, you kind of doing this? Was this the, the, the precursor then to, to you taking the, the CEO role? It, it, it really was. It really was. It was, yeah, I was five years in that, and I did four or five interesting work projects, which gave me a real variety of experience and, uh, you know, got me involved in things that I loved. Mm. But they were all six-month projects, you know, nine-month projects, what have you. And then suddenly you you finish it, and it's and it's almost you feel quite bereft after it because you invest so much emotionally in it because you're helping a company go through change. Um, yeah. And then suddenly you're not anymore, you know. But I I'd got involved in the in the institute by then, and and I was actually sitting on the executive council, which is what they called it, the the supervisory board in those days. Yeah. Um, and. To, to be honest, I, I, I knew what was going on because I could see the figures and it was in a little bit of a muddle and was in danger of losing its way, I think. And uh, my predecessor, Philippe, had done a fantastic job in terms of modernising its culture and its structure. Mm. But, um, you know, he, he just hadn't um, managed to reverse the decline in fortunes. and We, we, were, we were losing members and we were losing money and uh, we, we'd lost our way a bit. Um, right. We were a great organisation, and and you know, the, the, the Philippe was a military man, and and he, he had brought wonderful organisation skills to it, and modernised and streamlined so many things within it. But um, yeah, you know, and I think he'd be the first one to admit he, he doesn't have a commercial background. Uh, you know, what we what we lacked was, uh, I think we'd, we we I think the essential ingredient that was missing was marketing in its true sense, in that we weren't engaged with our with our constituencies right you know? and uh, you know that's what I felt needed to change so I found myself having 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 not had a job interview since 
I joined Sarova in the late 70s because it had all been, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I suddenly found myself in my late 50s going to a, one of the very smart gentlemen's clubs in Pall Mall in a room where there were people lined up on the other side of the long oak table uh, and mm. sitting down in a squeaky leather chair. <laughs> and, and, and I remember, remember thinking to myself, Phil, what on earth am I doing this for? <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> why am um, I putting myself through why this? Am I, why am I putting myself through this? Because, you know, <laughs> it suddenly felt like first day at school again. Um, but yeah. it, and it was great. And, and, you know, God bless them. They, they, they saw merit in what I was saying. You know, I, I remember uh, I was actually in the car with my wife driving back from the garden centre. I got the phone call to say, we'd like to offer you the job. And, uh, that was it. That's when my life changed, you know. Yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a great moment, isn't it, when, oh. when that happens? Assuming you wanted the job. Oh. <laughs> Otherwise, it's not such a great moment. Well, but, that's um, right. But then, you know, why did you apply for it in the first place? But uh, Exactly. Oh, I, yeah. I, I wanted it, believe me. Uh, and, and I've always regarded it as an enormous privilege to have this job. Yeah. It, it really is. Uh, it's, uh, it, it's, it's the most wonderful organisation. And, uh, yeah, yeah, an absolute privilege to lead it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, and I, damn right, I wanted it in a heartbeat. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, and I can see why as well. You know, it's uh, it, it's a it's deeply respected in in the industry. It's you know a kind of mantra is how can we add value to the industry and how can we make everybody's lives just a little bit bit easier. There's yeah. lots of these things that I guess would be connecting with that part of your brain that was searching for something that that you wanted to give back. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, uh, you know, the it, kind of it's a bit focal of a, point of that. Yeah, it's a bit, a bit of, it's a bit of a con to say that because, of course, it's a paid position. So uh, it was a job. Yeah, it was a job, but it was doing something that I genuinely believed in, and it, it was doing good for the industry. So yeah, it ticked all the boxes. Yeah. Yeah. So you arrive on day one, and and kind of what what was your brief? Well, <laughs> the, the brief was we were hurtling towards insolvency, and and and, and the brief was. Try and make that. Not welcome, happen. welcome to the company. Yeah. Uh, try, yeah. try and make that. Try and make that not happen. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and uh, that that was effectively the brief for the first couple of years. It really was. It was to turn around the fortunes of the institute. Um, yeah. Which? How do you go about doing that? Well, it's like any business. You 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 know, although it's a professional body and all the rest of it, you've got to think like a business, and and it's a small yeah. business. It's a small business, you know. Effectively, although it has global aspirations and global reach, it's it's actually technically a small business employing, you know, a dozen, 14, 15 people. And, mm. um, you know, you've got to think, you've got to think like a, a well, on one level, you've got to think like a global professional body. And on the other level, you've got to think like a small business. And, yep. you know, what you do in a small business, whether it's a hotel or whatever it is, is, is you look at where the money's being lost and try and stop it. Mm. And you look at why people are, leaving or why people are not joining and you try and make it more attractive to stay or to join so you try and increase your revenue and decrease your your your, your outgoing costs um, yeah. in a, in a nutshell i know it's oversimplifying it but um but there were several areas of, of operation where we were absolutely hemorrhaging money that that they that needed to be redressed and and it was and and, and also we just didn't have cash we 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 we, we you know, we, we were in danger of running out of cash each year um, because we just didn't have reserves. And you can't mm. you can't run a business without reserves and without, you know, a bit of a, a you know, a bit of a cushion somewhere. But yeah. we were sitting we were sitting on a property that um, we would bought in, in, in the good old days, you know, and quite right, too. 
but as we changed, I mean, you know, when I was a student, you used to you, you used to go to the HCIMA's offices to to look at to, to visit a library, you know. Uh, right. I, but yeah, yeah. But by the time nice. I took by the time I took it over, our library was all digital, so you could look at the books twenty four seven online. But we still had one floor of the building was the library, which which nobody ever went to. Um, right. And another floor was where the council chamber was and where a couple of small meeting rooms. But no, the council never met there because it was in Sutton and they always met in the West End. So we was, you know, we always we could always find a hotel room to meet in. Yeah. And so the staff were just based on one floor of the three. And, you know, we were paying more to maintain the lifts in that building than we pay today in rent. So, uh, goodness, you know, it, it, it was nuts. It really was. So fortunately, the market was quite buoyant and we were able to, it was selling the building that actually bought us the time and gave us the liquidity that we could be bold and do the things we needed to do. But at the same time, we had to address the, the areas of the operation where we were, as I say, losing money. Mm. You know, so it's like any business, you know, you've got, yeah. to, you've got to look at what's good, look at what's bad and try and find smarter ways of doing things all the time. Yeah, I talk about this a lot, actually, across uh, all, a, a lot of the other uh, episodes that mm. um, often in business, things get overthought. Yeah, but actually, the you, you know, the, the simple way to look at it is, uh, you know, are our costs outweighing what's coming in? Mm -hmm. If the answer is yes, then let's do something about that. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. And, and you know, from that point of view, I've, I've never thought business was that complicated. I mean, it's massively mm. complicated, of course, but in, in its true essence, it, it is about about thinking in, in that way. And the challenge in, in a professional body rather than in, in, in a corporate business, in, in, a, in a, you know, for-profit business, is a, a profit isn't our main motive, but you can't, you can't go on losing money, obviously. Um, mm. And B some of the things that we we do that are never going to make money are essential parts of being a professional body and and uh, you've got you've got to stick to what you've got to do what you should be doing to to, to maintain the integrity of the organization yeah you know so some things you got to take on the chin and say well we're never going to make money doing that but we have to do it we want to do it because it's important to our members or it's important to the importance of the industry but um, yeah by and large, whatever you're doing, whether it's a charity, and we're a charity, we're registered as a charity, but whether you're a charity or whether you're a business, you've got to think like a business. Yeah. Well, if there's no no gap between cost and income, then uh, then there's no real business. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So that was that was kind of straight into it. Welcome to the, the party. There's your brief crack on. You sorted that out. And, and then I, I suppose looking back now on, on your... Your time there. What would you say? Have, this sounds like a job interview all of a sudden. What would you say have been your your, your greatest achievements? Well, I, I think my greatest achievement it was was the f the first year that we declared a surplus rather than a loss. Mm. I thought that was an absolute landmark because I mean we, we got a history of twenty years of making a loss, you know, and so to wow, well, yeah, so to, that's, to, that's to amazing. Turn, it was to, to sustainable that. for that length of time. Well, yeah, it was because you know, I mean, it, it, it was in 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 the past. It was a very successful and profitable organization that have built up good reserves but they've been eroded over the years um, yeah so that that was that was an achievement i think seeing greater engagement with students and with universities and hotel schools was, was an achievement was something i'm very proud of and and the way in which and it, this isn't new this is something we've always done but the, the way in which we play a part of, often quite 
down low and uh, you know off the radar as part of the industry's ecosystem you know and i've lo i've loved the things that we've done with other organizations with you know uh, within the industry and mm. uh, you know how we play our part you know it's 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 a wonderful thing it really is i'm very very proud to have had the opportunity no doubt and well i, I think equally i mean i've I've come to the party fairly late with, with the Institute. I think I, I was hovering around the fringes for a couple of years and then took the plunge about three years ago as a, as a, uh, a full member. <laughs> but ev all of the events that I've, I've been to, I think the, the one thing that, that comes across uh, or certainly has come across is, is you clearly care deeply about this industry. You're very prominent. You're, you know, you're, uh, I think the, the level of respect out, there for you is phenomenal uh, and that's why i had to get the word legend into the uh, the intro when i uh, announced you onto the show because you know it's a word that gets banded around quite freely but uh, in actual fact in real terms you you know you are something of a legend yeah i think i think i think it's a, a, a word that's used on old people when you don't want to call them old <laughs> per pers personally phil but <laughs> uh. yeah I should live so long, huh? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, well, I, you know, obviously you're 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 not done yet. No. You, you might be stepping down, but um, you're. What's the the current situation? Here we are on sort of the the middle of May, recording this. Uh, you'll be kind of, I suppose, supporting the the incoming CEO Robert mm. with uh, with that transition. Yeah, in in every in every way that I can, and I really do wish him the best of luck. And uh, you know, I I well, I know he's going to have as much fun as I did. He's he's going to enjoy it as much as I did. Can, can I just say one other thing, Phil? Which I did, of course, when you asked me a minute ago what I was most proud of, the thing I am actually most proud of is what we've done in the last year d during this dreadful pandemic. Mm. At, at the beginning of it, we, we we sat down as a management team and and said, you know, a What's the impact going to be on the institute? Because we could we, we could quite see the money flying out the door and the members, you know, disengaging. But yeah. but also we could see that the industry was going to actually be in many cases actually under a truly existential threat. And and we said, well, what can we do to a support individual members? Because our memberships are in, you know, they're all people. Um, it's not yeah. it's not we're not a corporate membership thing. Although a lot of companies do pay to bring their their, their key people in. Mm. But, you know, what can we do, A, to support the individuals who are members and, and B, to help the industry? And uh, it, it was it was pretty obvious that really what we had to do was to, to to provide thought leadership. And so we launched a new newsletter, you know, IOH Together, which was really looking at things around people's experiences of what was happening in the pandemic, people sharing good ideas and best practice and all of those things. And, yeah. and also signposting things you needed to think about, you know. When your staff are furloughed, how do you stay engaged with them so you don't totally lose touch? And also mental well-being for yourself, because suddenly, when you're sitting at home these days, it's a big shock if you're used to bustling around in a busy, possibly in a busy hotel yeah, or restaurant, you know. And, for sure. Uh, so the way the way we've upped our game and performed during the pandemic is, is something I am really proud of, uh, and I think it's done the industry a lot of good that we were there doing what we did, you know. And it's reflected in the fact that I remember, you know. This get get your head around this one, Phil. Go on. Last year, in, in the worst year that the industry has faced since the end of World War II, our membership grew. More people, really, came, more pe more people came in, and, and members who had left and drifted away rejoined because they heard what we were doing and said, "Actually, do you know what? I'll have me some of that." 
which I think yeah. is just, you know, so rewarding. It's almost, you're almost a little bit like a, a superhero there with that sort of, our, our industry needs us. So here's what we're going to do. Well, there were, there were two choices, weren't there? You, you could either say, well, we'll sit at home, wait for this to blow over. Yeah, or, or, I bet, you, I bet or, you're glad you didn't take that choice. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> or we, we'll do what we can to support the people who trust us. And, you know, yeah. it was a bit of a no-brainer. And, uh, you know, yeah. th- thank goodness it, it actually worked in every way. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm enormously, pr- I'm enormously proud of that and, and full of respect for my colleagues for what they've done over the last year. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I think as well with, with this particular, I mean, there's obviously been many economic crisis over the course of uh, all of our adult lives but um, nobody had the playbook on this no. so in actual fact to get you know some some thought leadership on the or at least get the discussion going because maybe somebody finds something or comes up with an innovation that that um, that hasn't been thought of yet but you get mm. that out into the domain and it helps you know five percent of businesses mm. you know even if that's the, the win, then take the win because it's, uh, you know, that's kind of where the last year's been for mm. the industry, I think, is, you know, very difficult to get on top of things when you have no clear idea as to what the end looks like. Exactly. 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 Yeah. It's, it's, it's been a tough old year, hasn't it? Eh? Yeah. 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 <laughs> still here, though. Still, still here. here. Still fighting. Yeah. Still fighting. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so, well, you're you're leaving officially do you have a an end date i do i'm I'm leaving at the end of june and i right. and, I, and i think the only thing you'll see me at after that is if we are if we don't manage to get our agm done by the end of june uh, i'll be back for that because uh obviously it'll be 2020 it'll be about 2020s figures and uh, as, as, yeah. I, as i was the guy there I, I need to be there just to i want to be there just to answer any questions that members have so yeah, yeah. And, and last day of June is my last last day in harness. And are you back into a, a situation whereby you're going to take t- some time to ponder what's next, or or do you have well have some plans? Well, I, t- I took the decision to that this was going to happen a- around Christmas time, and uh, so I've been right. thinking about things for a while. I've got I've got nothing particularly lined up yet, but I do know that I don't want to retire. I I, I don't I, I I don't want to retire, and I don't want to work full time. So, you know, somewhere in the middle yep. there, you know, yep. and if, if I can find, certainly if I can find something I can do again, su- supporting an organization uh, to, to do, to do some good, I'd love to do that. Mm. But I, I also want to go on working because I, I, I love, I love our industry and, uh, you know, so I'm, what I'm hoping is to, to, to maybe get, get some consulting work or some project work. And it's interesting, and, and one, one avenue that does interest me is, is maybe not actually in our industry, but in a professional body that uh, maybe needs an interim or needs a, somebody to come in and advise them about some things. Because I've, you know, I've learned an awful lot about running a professional body in the last year, the last few yeah. years. And, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm kind of thinking about that as well. But really, my, my heart is, is, is in hospitality. And, and I hope that uh, I'll, I'll find projects and odd jobs. That, that people feel that I can add something to or events. I, I, I love um, our events. I love the events in the industry. So uh, yeah. you know, maybe I get the opportunity to speak at some of them or to, you know, to moderate conferences and that sort of thing. Just stuff to keep me, you know, I, I want something to keep me from having to, you know, walk the dog all day long and that sort of, yeah. thing, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and keep, keep me your in, eye in. Oh, keep my eye on it. And also keep me involved in the industry with the, because I love the people in it, you know? Yeah. I really do. Um, I, I can't, you know, 
I, you know, why, why wouldn't why wouldn't you want to stay in it? You know, I, I think when Harry Murray retires, I'll say, well, that sets the benchmark, and uh, yeah. I'll add a couple oh, of years. He's not going to retire. Of course, he's not. You know, but what yeah. are, you know, you, you talk legends, and there, there's a legend. You know, and not because of his age, but just because of actually, actually, not 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 because of anything apart from who he is and the way he the way he yeah. acts. You know, completely. And, uh, completely. You know, and there's a few people like that around. So I think, well, if they can if they can do it, I'll do it. And uh, yeah, you know. I mean, ultimately, I've I've always been a big believer that there's actually there's no job titles out there. There's just the way that you act. Exactly. You know, and it just so happens that you you may be acting above or below people and you know but your actions define you i think not yeah. your your job title that's so true that is so true yeah and my, maybe the most intelligent thing i've ever said on the podcast so so there we are well chalk it up hey yeah <laughs> <laughs> no that's great i mean you, well you have certainly built one hell of a career uh, so far and uh, this show supports anything that you that you want to do and, and anything that we can do to help in any way although your network's probably more extensive than mine so uh, but yeah no i wish you all the very best in the in the next chapter well phil that, that's that's really thank you and thank you very much for asking for asking me to, to, to do this with you i've, I've really enjoyed it and uh, you you're know. very welcome you're not finished yet i'm gonna oh, ask okay. you a question that i ask uh, everyone which okay. is uh, do you have any funny stories you can share with us from oh, your career God. oh well <laughs> yeah let's go back to selsden selsden park i was there as a graduate trainee which, yep. which is low life in management, isn't it? You know, and uh, I, I was one of my, one of my, you know, I worked around the departments and in March I, w- I was uh, in the conference and banqueting office responsible for the, for the diary. And right. uh, doing this, you also do shifts as a duty manager. So, you're, you know, you might not come into work till three in the afternoon. And I came in one afternoon and I was told the BBC wanted to come down and do some filming, which happened quite often. And they wanted to use the ninth tee of the golf course, which was, which had the, the hotel as a backdrop, um, and okay. they, but they weren't sure when it would be. It would be weather dependent sometime in the next 10 days. So could I tell them any days that we couldn't do? And there, there weren't any, so that was good. Mm. Um, and the next day when I got into, into the office, there was a note saying the BBC had been in touch. It, it's going to be Tuesday unless the weather changes. Right. So I should find so. So I marked off the ninth tee and they would be in touch about catering arrangements. Now, you know, okay, I thought, okay. And then on the Friday evening, I got I got another note which said that again when I was not not on duty, they'd been in touch and they were filming for Top of the Pops and okay. it, it was the Goodies if you remember the Goodies, yeah yeah and they had a song at the time called the Funky Gibbon, and yeah. they were coming down to film for this week's Top of the Pops. Now I was a I was a massive fan of the Goodies. I thought it was great, very excited about that. And they said, and they are bringing with them people from London Zoo and a gibbon. Well, of course. So I thought, wow, I thought, wow, this, this is going to be just great. I was so excited. And I was telling all of my colleagues this is happening. And then I was told that we would need to provide catering for the, for the crew. Um, but also we would need a bucket for the, for the gibbon. And they gave me a list of what was needed. And it was banana peel and it was oranges. And it was, I, you know, I can't remember what it was, but, you know, yeah, yeah. this was all again when i wasn't there there was a note and uh yeah you know so i was all prepared and you know it went on the function list and it you know a note went to the chef this is what's needed you know we sent around a bucket for it etc and uh yeah. and come tuesday i was enormously excited that, that you know the goodies were going to come down i was going to meet them and i was called up as duty manager that morning 
and I was called up to something happening in, in, in on the floors when my bleep went and uh, I was oh, told bleep. yeah the bleep remember those I, do. And yes. I, I, I was told there's a Mr Bill Oddie waiting for you at the front of the hotel so who one of the goodies of course so yep. I went legging it down there and the whole management team were lined up absolutely bent double and it was April the 1st so <laughs> long story i'm sorry about that phil but no 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 that, 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 that's the funniest thing that's happened to me in, my in, in the industry and the you know the drag is that i mean what are we now 50 odd years on since then i still see some of my colleagues from those days uh, and uh, and it's the first thing and whenever i about. do you know they they always say they always refer to it you know so do you know, I, I have to say, 10 out of 10 for effort. To, to That's oh, a big, that's a long con for it, a, it, an April Fool's joke. It, it really was. They, they obviously had too much time on their hands, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But no, I, I also it, love the concept of a, a gibbon having dietary requirements. Exactly. Yeah. So oh, you, know, you think about it in retrospect, of course, you think what an idiot I was. But uh, <laughs> great uh, gag. Superb. Great gag. That's, oh, that's yeah. great. No, thank you very much. Uh, well, if people want to get a hold of you to to kind of i don't know recruit you and uh, take advantage of your extensive experience what's the best method for them to get in contact with you well you'll find me on linkedin yep my mobile number hasn't changed since the 1980s so that's still the same well or through the institute of course because i'm not losing touch with them i'm sure they'll still no, introduce indeed. you you're not disappearing you know, or my I, well it, it's too crass to put give you my email isn't it but it's peterducker at me.com so there you go but no, Very any, good. not, you know, not grass I, I, at all. <laughs> I, I, and I, I really look forward to just new experiences and, and helping people in different ways. Fantastic. Peter, thank you very much for your time today. It's been lovely to chat to oh, you. Your, your life it. and times. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you so much. And, and thank you for staying awake for it. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Wide awake. <laughs> Fantastic. No, take care. Great. You take care too. Stay well. Cheers now. Ciao. Bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. And there we have it. A massive thank you to Peter for sharing his story and we wish him all the very best in his next chapter. And we'll be carrying on the IOH fun on Friday at 8pm as we welcome back Robert Richardson in his new role as CEO and Kelly Rickson, the current chair, as we chat through the story of how Robert's appointment came about and what the future holds. It really is a cracker. See you then.